Hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Join JD by God Oliva and myself every Thursday night live on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we stay up all night discussing all the hottest stories in professional wrestling. You can also check us out right here on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting feed or you can subscribe to the Mike and JD Show feed. Now, enjoy the show. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungi here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I am your host, Tyler Fortison. With me, as always, is Fred. He is not Dave Meltzer Moreland. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Uh, you doing well yourself? You know what? Uh, th- things could be a little better, but uh, Eclair's not suffering anymore. Um, yeah. So I- I'm, I'm, I miss her, but I'm glad she's okay. So that's, that's important. Um, yeah. Other than that, yeah, things are good. It's just my busy season. I've got um, high school uh, football from the state of Texas going on in the background right now. Anna is playing Tyler Chapel Hill for the Division Four or that uh, Class Four Division One uh, title, and it's yeah, it's fun, man. Um, how many how many uh, divisions do they have? Okay, so they have six divisions. Okay, and the, um, divi- uh, Class One A is. Um, just six man football because you know you okay. get a lot of like really small towns okay. and then everything else is eleven man. But okay, All right. there's so many high schools and teams that right. each class has two divisions, and the way they separate it is each district gets four teams make the playoffs. The the schools with the top two enrollments go to class or the division one, and the schools with the bottom two enrollments go to division two. So they split it up that way which it was really weird for coming from Minnesota and where everybody makes the playoffs. But I mean, it's Texas. It's a little different and they take things a, a little more seriously there. So um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool little gimmick and it's yeah. The games have been really good so far. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, do you know if anyone has gone into or onto NFL success from the uh, six man realm of Texas? Six man, I I'll be honest, I don't know. Oh, I'm just um, curious, just curious if you knew. Oh, the Von Erichs just popped up as I'm I'm uh, getting all caught up on the dynamite from Wednesday. We got tickets to an Arboretum light gimmick. It it was kind of cool. Well, uh, let's go ahead and get through the news. Um, and I guess the big story this week, as stupid as it kind of is, is uh, the to shocking to some uh, revelation that Warner Brothers Discovery was t- had a talks with WWE this week. Uh, Dave Meltzer, I believe, primarily speculated that that door may have opened because of CM Punk going to WWE. Uh, one Bill Phil, as we all know. Um now, uh, AEW's deal is through the end of 2024. Um, and, you know, the whole deal with AEW has been that, uh, you know, Tony Khan has been extremely loyal to Warner Brothers Discovery since the start. 
Um, to the point that it's led to speculation, which hasn't been denied, that uh, that Warner Brothers Discovery owns some percentage, uh, non-controlling percentage of AEW. Um, a big part of this was that uh, it was something that could, that Tony Khan confirmed in the press call uh, before the Ring of Honor show final battle that is taking place on the day that we record this, December 15th. Um, he, basically, the CW expressed interest in Ring of Honor uh putting it on their on their network but uh tony khan decided to stay loyal to warner brothers discovery um tony also said during the final battle uh, media call that they met with uh, warner brothers discovery to discuss extending the tv deal this week on tuesday um so i'm not terribly surprised that uh warner brothers discovery is a kick in the tires a little bit it seems like what you probably should be doing in their situation uh when it comes to wwe to be clear and um, I don't know. Uh, I, I think that we, you know, collectively the wrestling media and landscape uh, still has PTSD from WCW. Um, the idea, I think, that with what AEW has done as far as ratings goes uh, and that they would be unable to get, uh, you know, if Warner Brothers Discovery decided to not go with them, uh, I, it seems beyond the veil uh, that they would not get a deal somewhere else of some value, you know, of, of decent value, even a potentially profitable value. Um, but there was a lot of speculation that AEW is going to die now, uh, just because anytime anything happens that is not fantastic for the company, it kind of feels like that's how the discourse goes. Um, I don't know. This is definitely a wait and see situation. Uh, I certainly wouldn't get overly worried about it as a general thing for AEW's future though no um i, I do want to push back a little bit here i actually think that tony was asked about the uh, partial ownership of warner brothers discovery and didn't he say no that they don't own any of the company or am i nelson man mandel affecting this um i believe that what he said and again this is off what what I remember primarily is Meltzer talking about this um, is that uh, he didn't deny it outright. Um, that's what I got. Okay. Yeah. And, um, the whole Warner Brothers discovery thing, as far as television deals, look, my guess is that AEW is locked into a contract where they can't, negotiate with anybody else until after a certain point and the one date that i saw speculative is the first of january of 2024 which means that then you have um less than one year at that point remaining on the contract and that at that point aw can shop around which i think is pretty standard practice when it comes to television deals anybody can correct me if i'm wrong but if you have that amount of time that gives you time to negotiate one in good faith with the company that you're already working. And you probably have already had those conversations going in before this window opens, but two, you have to have a plan set in stone and you have to be able to let your viewers know, Hey, we're going here. You don't want to have an impact Ustream deal where you have to air, air it on like streaming for months at a time while you're transitioning over to spike TV. You can't have that. They got away with it in 2004. It almost killed them. But you cannot have that happen to you now. You just can't. You will die. 
and it will it will be very bad for business. So having that negotiating window is important. It's pivotal to the, the future success of AEW. And until we kind of figure out some of those little nuances and what's real and what's not, especially with uh, WWE having conversations with Warner Brothers Discovery, a conversation doesn't mean anything unless there's like real hardcore negotiations or things are getting close. Why? You and I can have conversations about bringing AEW television to our streaming platform, my YouTube channel with almost 1.7 thousand subscribers. That doesn't mean it goes anywhere. Like right. it, and it that's a little bit of hyperbole, but you kind of understand. Exploratory discussions and having talks are completely different from hardcore negotiations. And right now, we don't have any concrete information saying that WWE is having like real negotiations with Warner Brothers Discovery. It sounds like just it's exploratory talks, which are it, it's normal in the process. You have the talks, you kind of see where everybody is at, you kind of see where the comfort level is for both sides. And then you sit down at the negotiating table because you have an idea of what both sides want from this arrangement. And then you can go in there and hopefully not insult the other party with those initial offers because that's key too. You don't want to go in there and be like, hey, I want $400 million a year for this product that's never made more than 201 Well, that's insulting because we're going to offer you 175 And that's that's how negotiations can go really poorly. So talks are fine. And obviously with the CM Punk connection, it would not be shocking if Punk was the one who kind of started introducing some of the parties because it seems like Nick Khan had had discussions already with Warner Brothers Discovery. But from my understanding, the people that they're now having discussions with, like Mark Spiro, Triple H, the people Warner Brothers Discovery are different people. And that matters. Because there are a lot of people in a major company like that that have say in these things. And being able to get in front of the right people means a lot. So until we get more information, I'm not really going to be super concerned about it. Yeah, it's definitely just a situation to uh, keep an eye on right now. Um, it's going to take time and it's going to take... Uh, there's just a lot to shake loose here because... Uh, the Warner Brothers Discovery also has uh, the rights to the NBA right now, which is a bigger rating deal than uh, AEW, of course. And uh, those are coming up for negotiation, I believe, this year as well. And uh, I think it's important to note, or I, I, I have to think, I guess I should say, um, that it's entirely likely that those we have to wait for the NBA domino to fall first. Could be wrong. Could go the other way around. But it just feels like everything will be dictated by exactly how much money the NBA gets because David Zaslav, Warner Bros. Discovery, um, they kept uh, or he has made public statements about how they don't need uh, the NBA. Now, the question is, is that just, you know, is that posturing to try to drive their price down and to get more leverage against them? Or is that a genuine, you know, strategy he is uh, taking, given that he has taken multiple completely finished movies and just... Uh, dumped them in the trash and decided to be better to take a tax cut than to release them and have them potentially flop, um, which is, you know, not great. Um, Did you hear but, what happened with the, I think it was uh, the, the last of us. Um, no, I did not. Um, apparently naughty dog uh, said no 
Um, and after four years of trying to make it like multiplayer, I guess they're just doing a remaster now. Okay. Which, what the hell? That that's a good way to piss off gamers. Well, they all clearly they don't care. So, um, anyways, uh, yeah. So that's where we are with everything. Uh, it's not possible that WWE will go there. I don't think it's the most likely destination. Um, but it's on the table. So that's about what you would expect. Uh, light week for news. So we'll just go ahead and get through the rest. Um, ratings were dynamite. I was stupidly did not recall or remember to put in the collision ratings, but dynamite, uh, this past week was at 845,000 viewers overall at a 0.30 in the key demo, which is the highest demo since late October, basically before the start of the NBA wild, how wrestling drew in the highest rating of the uh, past few months. Uh, per WrestleTix, World's End is up to 7,276 tickets tr- distributed, so it looks like that'll be pretty successful. Um, of course, that is being held, I believe, at uh, Long Island, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, some quick hitters. Thunder Rosa said she is ready to return, so hopefully she'll be able to provide a boost to the women's division that has had an awful year. Uh, Jim Ross has said that he's hoping to return uh, by World's End. Athena broke her nose, and uh, she is still going to be working the show. She, of course, is in the uh, uh, the final battle show, I should say. She is, of course, in the main event, and uh, we'll get to talk about that show here in a second. But last news note, uh, Dave Meltzer thinks that Andrade's contract is up soon, uh, but it could be have its time extended by uh, you know adding time on after injury, as is common in AEW and WWE. Uh, any thoughts on all those there, Tyler? I want to see Thunder Rosa back. I want to see her just um, beat the ever living piss out of some some of these women in the division. And like, I, I don't mean that in a bullying sort of way or more backstage drama. I just want stiff work in this division, and that is exactly what Thunder Rosa is going to bring. And I hope that it works out this time. I really do because she's very talented. But we know that that's not all. Uh, encompassing when it comes to talking about these things. Yeah, uh, she's definitely better than some of the other people they've been relying on recently, and I think uh, you know she could uh, provide some help for sure. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, so that's about it. I mean, I'm happy that Jim Ross is getting healthy, and uh, I'm sure Athena will be able to work through that broken nose just fine. So let's talk about briefly, because I'm not watching the weekly show, uh, Final Battle. Uh, it's got, it is coming up tonight. You have to get the uh, the Honor Club gimmick to be able to watch it. Um, it's not even on pay-per-view now, which I think is a very interesting move. Uh, there's two ways you can interpret that. One is a way to try to shore up subscription numbers to the Honor Club service, which I'm sure has fallen off hard. Um, it really feels like that show has no buzz right now. Um, and uh, I can't imagine they're drawing in too many viewers right now. Alternatively, you could look at it as, <laughs> in another negative way, um, that they they expect this to do so poorly on pay-per-view, they're not even going to bother. And I think either way you look at it, it's not really great. But I just don't get what he's what is doing, what Tony Khan is doing with Ring of Honor. Um, it just feels like a show that's like basically a phantom limb 
um, and isn't really serving any great purpose. They need to give Ring of Honor to somebody else. Um, give it to Brian Danielson. Sure. Let, I mean, just let him run Ring of Honor. Let him just use that as his uh, little playground, uh, for lack of a better term. And let him just have fun. like Because he keeps talking about how this is his last year as a full-time wrestler because of his kids. Well, you can do a lot of stuff from home when you're the booker. You can do a lot. And I think that that would be a great use of his time. I think that would be a great use of Brian Danielson's expertise and his wrestling mind. I really do. I, I, I think it's great, but we'll kind of see how that all manifests. Yeah. So let's run through the card because on paper, I think it's actually turned out to be pretty good. Um, but, you know, we have uh, nine matches in totality announced, uh, including the pre-show match. Now, this card is taking place in uh, uh, Garland, Texas, the cursed Curtis Colwell uh, event. And uh, I think, extremely notably, it doesn't have a Ring of Honor World Championship match, of course, because of the uh, Triple Crown thing they're doing for the uh, C2. Um uh, hey, uh, congratulations, uh, Tyler. I think you may be the new head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. Woo! Uh, I apologize for you having to do that. <laughs> um, just saw that news as I uh, went to go check the ticket sales of the uh, of Final Battle, um, which I'm still working on, but... Uh, since they are in uh, Texas and Garland, they are going to do a Von Erichs match. Marshall and Ross Von Eric, accompanied by Kevin Von Eric, will be facing, I think, possibly the best possible opponents for this match, uh, for their match. The Outrunners, Turbo Floyd and Truth Magnum. Um, that match rules, man. It, it kind of does, yeah. I, I have actually never watched Marshall and Ross work, so I don't know if they're like, what they're good at or anything. Um, but it is... That is some extremely world-class championship shit right there to me. Um, but hopefully it's good. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, but that is the pre-show match. Uh, what are your thoughts on that one? I love the match, man. I- I'm very curious to see what kind of a draw uh, Kevin Von Erich is. I-, I understand it's in Texas. Um, the Curtis Caldwell Center is in Garland, which I believe is about 20 miles or so outside of Dallas proper. Um, I, I may be a little bit off on my geography, but I think that's about right. And obviously we know the Von Erichs, which is a massive draw at the Sportatorium in Houston. I, I just don't know what kind of a draw uh, Kevin Von Erich is. I don't believe his kids are any form of legit draw unless you just see, oh, Von Erich, I should go to that show. But then again, you're also putting him on the pre-show. So the match itself is cool. Um, uh, I, I, I can't remember what, what she said the other team name was. Um, the Outrunners. The Outrunners. I, I I always forget what their name is because I just remember Turbo Floyd. And I'm like, that's Turbo a fantastic. Floyd just, that's such a great such a great name. pro wrestling name. Um, it's extremely good, man. The Outrunners rule. And I, I I'm excited to kind of see them in a different uh different situation. They're in a situation where they're not jobbers, they're in a situation where they can actually work. And I think that is really cool. So uh, I'm excited to kind of see what that looks like and 
Um, great pre-show match. This this is the kind of stuff Ring of Honor should be doing all the time, 24-7. Just stuff like this. The Von Erics, they need work. Like, they, like MLW had them almost exclusively in multi-man matches where like tornado style. Like, get them in a position where they can work with seasoned vets as actual an actual like tag team and not just doing stuff. Yeah. I think this I think this is awesome. Yeah. Uh, now, as far as the Von Erics being a draw, well, uh, the last public update from Russell Ticks is from uh, Wednesday, where they posted that uh, they have distributed, uh, distributed, not sold, but distributed a total of 2,253 tickets for Final Battle, with uh, another 1,469 left available. Uh, last time AEW was there was for Dynamite last year where they drew just under 5,000. So I wouldn't expect that number to be too close to the AEW number last year because it is Ring of Honor, and Ring of Honor is spectacularly cold. But uh, it's not great to to have less than 2,500, I think. Um, Its capacity is uh, listed on Wikipedia as uh, about 6,800. So about 30, one-third, you know, full... So yeah, um, oh, Ring of Honor. I know. Um, Ring of Honor needs something different. Yeah, because what they're doing with it right now just does not have any buzz. Um, well, the rest of the card we have uh, Tom Lawler facing Wheeler Utah for the uh, ROH Pure Championship, which actually I'm pretty hyped for that. I think that could be really good. Uh, Ethan Page and Tony Nese face off in an I Quit match. We get Black Taurus challenging El Hijo Del Vikingo for uh, the AAA Mega Championship, which could easily be the match of the night. Uh, the six-man tag belts are on the line with Ch- with uh, the Mighty Don't Kneels, uh, Shane Haste, Kosei Fujita, and Bad Dude Tito. Hell yeah, Bad Dude Tito, let's go. Challenging the Mogul Embassy. We got a beef off with Keith Lee against Shane Taylor. Uh, survival of the fittest finals for the vacant uh, TV championship uh, is a six-man uh, with Dalton Castle, Commander, Kyle Fletcher, Lee Johnson, Lee Moriarty, and a mystery man. Uh, a G- Jay Briscoe Memorial fight without honor between FTR and Mark Briscoe against the Blackpool Combat Clubs, Brian Danielson, John Moxley, and Claudio Castanoli. And finally, we have Billy Starks challenging Athena for the Women's World Championship. Uh, that is actually a pretty good card on paper, even if I, you know, like I can honestly say I've watched very little of the build. Yeah, I, I'll say this. I'm really excited about that Billy Starks Athena match, not because I think Billy Starks is winning it, but because I think it's good that you have a legit pathway to get her these type of matches and it doesn't feel forced. It feels it's been a natural, well-progressed build. And she's 18 years old. She's getting a, like a potential main event spot on a pay-per-view. Yeah. That rocks. Uh, and, and also, I think that she, uh, I think she should win the title off Athena. And I think it's most likely that's what's going to happen. Uh, I don't know what Athena has left to do in Ring of Honor. And they could definitely use her on the main roster. Uh, so... I don't see why you would not put it on uh, Starks. I get it. I get why you're saying it. I think your rationale makes sense. 
I still think it's too early to put it on Starks. And I feel like she should be a chaser. I I don't I don't see it being a I don't know what the right word is. Like what's her title ring gonna be? She's not ready for it. And it, I mean, it they don't have a better option. Prepared no, at least right now. They won't heat anyone else up to this level. I mean, they, this is a months long storyline that they're paying off here. So, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't really see a uh, an obvious alternative. Yeah. Uh, look, I, more often than not, I want to give Tony Khan the benefit of the doubt when it comes to these things, and I want to see where things go. And I've been very consistent about that. Khan is for the most part, earned our trust when it comes to what's going on within his companies. I, Billy Starks as, as your champion just feels weird at this point, maybe in a year or two. But if they do it, I'm willing to, to wait it out and kind of see what happens. Now, I will say that when she wins it, I don't think it has to be a long title run. I She could lose it on the next episode, and I wouldn't think much of it, you know. Um yeah, I think that we it's kind of easy to think that every first title win needs to be some massive months long thing, and it really doesn't need to. Um, no, and, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that. No, I'm should... not saying you are either. To be clear, I'm, I'm not saying, saying yeah. a general commentary. Yeah, it's more. I don't think Starks is ready for the spot. I think she's got an incredibly bright future, and we've we've talked about that on the show. I don't think that that future is now. She kind of needs to be treated like Nick Wayne a little bit. Like, give her opportunities to wrestle with really good individuals in the ring. Let her grow organically. And I don't don't see putting the title on her being the best route for that growth. I will keep an open mind, and I'm willing to be proven wrong. But that's just, that's kind of how I see it right now. That's fair. That's fair. I, I guess I would counter with it. It's being, it's wrong, ring of honor, you know. I don't think it really matters that much. Um, in fact, this might actually be a great spot for her, her to be a champion and get some experience. But Very fair. Reasonable minds can disagree, as Trevor Lanza likes to say. Um, Today I learned you had a reasonable mind. <laughs> Doctors are still out of that. Um, <laughs> any other thoughts on this card? Uh, look, Tony Khan pay-per-views deliver. And... It's not the strongest card, but it's a fun card. And I think it's worth the time. I really do. There's nothing on this uh, card that I, I would not expect, that I, I would expect, sorry, uh, to not hit, you know, with sufficient time, three and a half stars. Um, I guess the weakest match on here on paper is probably Ethan Page and Tony Nese in an I Quit match. But, like, I think they're both very good. Uh, I think Ethan Page is like possibly the, you know, the most underachieving guy in uh, in wrestling, just in terms of like some of the tools he has. I find him very frustrating, uh, but we'll get to the good part of him later when we talk about Collision. Um, yeah, I, I think this could be a pretty damn good show. I'm not expecting like show of the year. I don't think anything will really hit like flirt with five stars necessarily um though maybe that six man will um maybe taurus and vikingo will just have like the best possible match they could have um 
yeah, I mean, it's pretty, I don't know. I'm excited to watch this. I don't know if I'll watch it live, but I'm excited to watch it. Yeah. I, I will be watching it at some point this weekend. Um, Texas high school football is going on right now. So we got, uh, we got one after this game that is going on right now as we're recording between Anna and Tyler Chapel Hill. We have five more games to decide state champions in the state of Texas. I'm not, I don't even live in Texas. I'm just watching it. Cause I, I just love high school football. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, let's talk about the shows this past week. Uh, it may have been, this may have been Tyler, the best week of AW television in a long time. Um, I'm going to start off with Rampage, which it was the weakest of the three, as you would expect from a Rampage, but nothing on it was bad. Um, I actually, you know, everything on it was enjoyable. Uh, I think uh, Orange Cassidy's match was actually a disappointment with Angelico, uh, just because Orange Cassidy's had a great year. Uh, and that was, to me, like, just kind of a, you know, a, a fine, above-average match, but nothing special. Um, I certainly wouldn't recommend anyone get out of their way to watch it. But immediately after that, you know, it was quite short, but I actually thought Trisha Dora and Abaddon had, like, an average match. And considering where I was on Abaddon the last time she got regular TV time, which has been quite a while, uh, mm-hmm. I think she has improved. I'm not going to call her, like, uh, you know, uh, Manami Toyota or anything. Uh, Utami Haya Shishida is not walking through these doors. But she's turned into a decent wrestler, which I think is... Good for her. It's an accomplishment because I don't think she was the last time she was getting any meaningful TV time. Well, considering where she was when she debuted with the company, she was just a yeah zombie, and now and she's becoming a good worker. That's that's awesome. I wouldn't go good, but I would go solid. You know, I would go acceptable. She's not sticking out as like oh, she doesn't belong here. Um, so good for her, and you know she can keep continuing to improve. Uh, that would be great. I guess I think I've been using the wrong pronouns. I apologize for that. I think she, I think uh, they prefer uh, non-binary. Actually, now that I stop and think about it, but I, I think they uh, they've improved noticeably. Uh, to get from bad to fine is a step up for sure. And um, I don't know. We'll see how this Julia Hart match goes. I'm not like hyped about it, but I th- do think those two could surprise. Uh, I assume that'll be on the uh, you know the World's End show. And uh, we'll see. It'll be interesting to watch, if nothing else. But I do think the gimmick shift for Abaddon has worked. And I think that uh, their abilities have uh, are better. You know, they're on a higher level than they were. That's always good. I, yeah. I, I just I just want to say, as I have the replay of Dynamite going on in the background, firm reminder that Jay Lethal has the best creative moveset of all time. Dude's moveset rules. I just wish uh, he was better than just what Jay Lethal is. Yeah, especially Jay Lethal in 2023. Um, uh, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, the rest of Rampage, I mean, there was the Hobbs and Takeshita against the Masai Dow and Daniels match, which was fine. But then we had ourselves a damn good Brian Danielson-Daniel Garcia match as part of the uh, C2 and uh, the Continental Classic. And I like this match a lot. I went four and a half stars on it. Um, I thought, you know, this is... 
the fact that Dave Garcia kind of stuck out this year is a damn shame because, you know, the tail end of last year, he was showing some real promise. I think he's a very good in-ring guy. I think he's got some solid personality. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this match really showed that he can be something special. And I think this is part of what's showing the C2 is turning into like really something special because I do think there's several storylines coming out of this that are going to be very intriguing if they can follow up on them properly. And one of them is Daniel Garcia. You know, he's uh, coming out of the JAS. He's, you know, the whole I'm an entertainer, not a wrestler thing. Comes out in his trunks instead of his, you know, JAS pants, his long leather pants that were getting, that he was losing matches (laughs) and having them blamed on um, back uh, at the start of the year. And uh, this match whooped ass. And uh, Daniel Garcia is really good. Uh, It's a shame that he kind of just fell off the radar for a few months there. Um, so if they can actually, if Tony Khan actually puts his foot on the gas, which he should, um, with this guy, at least get it, make him a TV regular, uh, you know, he could really step it up in the next year. Yeah. The one part of Bart Garcia is he's stupid young. It yeah. feels like he's been around for a long time, but he just started at like at 18. So yeah. I think he's 24. That sounds and- right, but I am double checking you. Uh, Wikipedia does not list an age, but that sounds about right to me. Yeah, and the two numbers that are popping out to me, 24 and 26, either one. like He could have match says 25, so split the difference. He could not have a world title win for five years, and that's he's in his prime at that point. Yeah, yeah. We're in a good spot with where things are with Daniel Garcia, and I think this is is great. Yeah, on my... uh top wrestlers of the year list, uh, you know, which is based entirely off of, um, you know, match quality and match quantity. Uh, I've got him 73rd on the year between the rookie Doy and uh, Kevin Owens. So nothing wrong with that. But I do think he could definitely finish in the top 50 if given the opportunity. Yeah, I agree. Um, I get this guy more ring time. And the fact that he went from pants to trunks, obviously with the story they're kind of telling is a great sign. Maybe he'll feud with uh, uh, was it Okada that famously went back to to Trunks at one point a few years ago? Oh, when he when he uh, had like the robe, um, yeah, and revealed the Trunks. Kingdom. Yeah, because I the second he walked out, I'm like, he's uh, and I saw the robe, I'm like Trunks, he's doing the Trunks, and then he pulled him off, and he got one of the biggest pops I've ever heard. Yeah, in the Dome. <laughs> it was a like, huge pop. <laughs> Okada is here to fucking wrestle, baby. Let's go. And then, yes, uh, um, Jay White just beats him. It's like, whoa, okay. <laughs> just great stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's it for Rampage going on a collision. Um, I'm going to start out this off with the negative. Um, Mercedes Martinez and Willow Nightingale, they had a fine match. It wasn't a bad match. But... It had what is currently my least favorite finish in wrestling right now, which is where the person that is going to win the match takes several big moves in a row, like just absolutely eat shit for a while. And then they just get a roll up on a cover immediately. They don't come back with any offense. They just pop a a crucifix on someone that is currently covering them and they get the three. And in this, this is what happened in this match with, uh, Martinez in a row hit uh, an exploder suplex and then like a splash mountain 
but where she flipped Willow around and uh, out of the razor's edge position, and so she landed on her face. And immediately after that, Willow Nightingale just grabbed a, a small package and got three. And that was the end of the match. And it's like, she just got murdered. You know, can can we not, like, have her sell a little bit and then have her come back? I, I you know, I, and I've been seeing this spot all over the place. I just saw it in Dragon Gate, uh, like, the next day uh, from, like, an October show, I think it was. I forget exactly who it was now. But it's just kind of like, if you just get, you know, like, murdered by a move, you shouldn't immediately be grabbing a, uh, a roll-up off of that and getting the pin. Like, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I, I very rarely yell about, like, that kind of aspect of wrestling, but this killed me. <laughs> this really did kill me. Fred, I, as somebody who almost died, I don't want you to die. Stay with us. Yeah. I try to stay towards the light, but, you know, sometimes this this happens to me, and I'm like, oh, God, maybe I should go. I don't know. Uh, well, but really- that's what happens when you watch WWE. Don't do that anymore, please. <laughs> uh, but on this show, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff on this show. Uh, we had ourselves uh, Claudio against Eddie Kingston, which is always a great time. And that was a great match. Um, I went four and a half on that. They just whooped each other's ass. There was a, a better than expected because, you know, I'm, you know, Ethan Page in general, I think has been kind of a disappointment in AEW, just very inconsistent but he had a damn good match with kenny omega now he should have if you're a professional wrestler you should be having a good match with kenny omega it helps even though neither one of them was from the province of quebec yeah they were invested yeah they were invested they cared because they're in their home country and yeah they had a canada off i don't know if like like you know how like uh when the olympics come around everybody's like oh yeah team america let's go like and but when it comes to like wrestlers and stuff, when wrestlers come to your state, when top flight came to Minnesota, they got a huge pop in the building because they're one of us. And I'm curious. And anybody who is, who lives in Canada, if you can shed some light, I'm very interested in hearing, but how that matters from like Canada as a whole versus province to province, because you had that match going on in Quebec when both Christian Cage and Adam Copeland are from the Toronto area in Ontario, how does that manifest itself? Is it still all oh, awesome? They're Canadian or is it just not quite the same and it, they need to be from like the same province or area. And I, I'm, I'm fascinated to know because neither one of these guys were from close to Quebec. Yeah. But it seems like that they, you know, the crowd bought into it, you know, that as they were, honorary hometown guys um they don't seem to have an issue with it uh i would say this match was much heated than you would get in carlin texas just as an example uh the page omega match and mm-hmm. i think that goes for copeland christian too um speaking of canada have you i actually just saw this on the uh on the uh, athletic this morning but apparently there there has been two notable flubs of o canada um, in uh, the past week by people singing before NHL games. One guy uh, botched the lyrics and sang the same line twice. But then uh, there was another guy at Long Island for the Islanders game who basically did the national anthem in 59 seconds. Like he speed ran O Canada and a bunch of people were upset about it online. <laughs> and I guess there were two other... Uh, two other issues um, in you know past 
in March, uh, some guy like forgot the lyrics halfway through because he um, he was given two hours to learn them because <laughs> he was the last minute replacement. And then in November, another singer uh, in America botched the uh, lyrics. So, yeah. Um, whoops. I love it. I love it. Just speed running, oh, Canada. Yeah. <laughs> of all places, a hockey game. Yeah, yeah. Well, you for know. those who don't know, um, it, no matter where they're playing, if it's if there's a U.S. team playing, the United States National Anthem will play. If there's a Canadian team playing, the Canadian team national anthem will play. Uh, so if you have one of each, both do get played. Um, and God, this is great. There's no uh, guarantee as to the quality, though. <laughs> nope. Odie agrees as he stretches like, oh, I can't believe it. Um, and uh, so going on, uh, 2.0, which I think has been very disappointing in the ring, they had a Good, but not notably good match with Commander and Pinto Azero, uh or Pentagon Jr. Um, there was a couple mix-ups here that kept it from really getting to a higher level, but it wasn't bad. And then um, we had the fantastic Andrade versus Brian Danielson match where Brian Danielson worked everyone by selling again. Um, everyone thought that he was injured because Andrade targeted his eye and uh, there was some bleeding involved. And uh, breaking news Brian Danielson takes an injury and turns it into a story. Yeah, never seen more at 11. Brian Danielson, notoriously good seller. (laughs) Like, oh man, it was just very funny that everyone got on Twitter Tuesday night and we're like, oh my god, he died. And then he just comes out on Wednesday, fine. So, wasn't it on this collision that uh, Nigel McGuinness had a like free the clams shirt or something like that? Yes, yeah, something along those lines, and then. Uh, in true like Bobby Heenan fashion, uh, right before this, or as they were doing the entrances, uh, it's the most basic joke, but you know he's he's really leaned into doing this gimmick. Uh, Nigel goes, uh, you know, Brian Danielson's my second favorite guy in this tournament, and I think of the ski of own who uh, responded, "Yeah, who's your first? And he goes, "Everybody else." I'm just like, ah, <laughs> uh, good just shit, phenomenal. Uh, I do think uh, Nigel's really found his uh, rhythm, which is nice because early on it was like, oh, you're not ready. You're not fitting in here. Um, but yeah, I mean, that match ruled all the all the championship or, or I'm sorry, Continental Club, the C2 matches. Uh, they've all been very good. Continental Classic. I'm forgetting words here. Um, we had ourselves a great John Moxley pre-tape promo on the show as well. Um when he was hyped in the swerve match, um, John Moxley just is a otherworldly uh, promo at this point in time. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I don't really have anything too negative to say about anything else on here. Um, I think probably the second worst thing on collision was maybe the uh, Julia Hart promo on Abaddon, which was just a little pre-tape and it wasn't bad. It just wasn't special and that's okay. So sometimes when you're as young as Julia Hart, just hitting your your marks and getting it out, it, yeah. it's okay for right now. Yeah, it was fine. I, I I don't really have a complaint about it. It just was not um was not spectacular. She's not a spectacular promo yet. Uh she has potential. I can see her get in there. She's got a good delivery now. She's very at ease mm-hmm. with doing, you know, the spooky bullshit. Um 
So, yeah. So we get the dynamite. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought we had a really interesting open to this show. Um, so let's talk about this a little bit in depth. Uh, Samoa Joe came out and uh, started doing what felt like, honestly, a very WWE-ified promo. Not a bad thing in this case, just felt very much ripped from, you know, a Raw from a few years ago. Uh, so he talked about how MJF was killed in the back and how, uh, you know, they're, they're doing a whole mystery angle about who the devil is, which gasp Sean Ross Sapp said to expect to be revealed at World's End, which I fucking hope so. God, please reveal that shit. I'm... As the crowd goes mild. I mean, you know, I, I actually, I like this open to the show. I, I, I am going to put this over here. I will put a caveat at the end of it. But Samoa Joe is a fantastic promo. And so he, he said he saw that there was a certain beer bottle there that a cowboy likes to drink. And he also smelled, in my favorite line of the night, Stetson and Disappointment. <laughs> oh, God, I forgot about that line. Phenomenal Fan- stuff fantastic uh said he went looking for hangman but he couldn't find him so whose music should hit and come out but hangman page i love that music it's a great theme uh so he comes out and uh you know that he's like i don't care about these games you're playing the bromance or this game of clue you're playing uh and then uh smojo had another good line another great line really where he said that uh uh, he didn't come out here as a de- detective. He came out here as an executioner. <laughs> and at this point in the show, I, I, I love this segment up to this point. And then Roddy Strong came out. And, you know, we're doing this whole restore the feeling thing on Twitter, right? You know, all this uh, shit with Daniel Garcia tweeting it. And MJF, who, who ruined the feeling in the first place, unfortunately, tweeting it. And it's like, buddy, you don't get to do this. This ain't you. Um, is uh. So Roderick Strong comes out and does the opposite of restoring the feeling. Uh, and he does... Yeah. Uh, now, look, I, I will give some credit here where credit is deserved. I am amused by him declaring Samoa Joe his best friend by proxy. That's kind of funny. And then... Um, uh, but the best... Uh, I love this part of the segment where Adam Page just punched him in the face. And uh, that's what he should do to a geek character. And then it really broke down into chaos. And Dynamite needs chaos. Dynamite needs these little segments where it feels like uh, stuff has gone kind of sideways, but like in a good way. Because we have Joe and Paige getting in each other's faces and Roderick dying over here. Aubrey comes in because she's got a match between Roderick and uh, Adam next. She's trying to keep peace, and I like this segment. I, I thought overall this was a good segment. Now, I know someone who like immediately buried it because it is tied into the MJF Devil storyline, and I cannot disagree with that at all. That storyline still... This is like the first good segment of this storyline, practically. You know, we've been doing this for what feels like 18 years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I can't exactly put this over as a shining example of like what AEW should be, but this was a good segment. It just happens to be connected with my least favorite storyline of this year and possibly the company's history. Yeah. Huh. It's uh, it's frustrating. Even when it's good, it kind of sucks. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But then we get ourselves a, a nice and not great uh, Roderick Strong and Page match. This felt a little disconnected at some points. Uh, it just 
it wasn't like they were on the same page in some ways. And, uh, you know, it was kind of disappointing that way. But, I mean, it was still pretty good. I went three and a half on it. Um, I thought, you know, I mean, these guys are both good workers, and they could easily have a better match if they ran this back. But, yeah. you know, to his benefit, Roderick Strong is uh, working his matches without any shtick. You know, there's no, like, stopping the scream or some kind of mid-match promo or any of this shit. It's just Roderick Strong doing backbreakers. And, you know, if we could get away further from the the neck brace, screaming at him nonsense, that'd be all right with me. Um, next up, we had Brody King and Andrade. Shockingly, another good match. I didn't go too high on this. I went three and three quarter. It just didn't quite have that, uh, you know, that little bit that would push into really great territory for me. But it was, it yeah. had some good stuff. It felt a little, it was not disjointed, but just very slow up until it wasn't. And it was a bit too much time, you know, in like second year. Uh, but the end got wild. We had uh, Andrade DDTing Brody King onto the turnbuckle and then hitting his hammerlock DDT for the win. And that was Brody King's first pinfall loss in AEW. That, um, that's crazy. Yeah, they have done a really good job of protecting him. Even his losses, like uh, the coffin match, right? Wake Lake in twenty twenty two, like they've done a good job protecting him in singles, and I think that's good. But it's also screams to part of the problems of AEW, where not even mid carters are allowed to lose, and it, it's okay for Brody King to lose a match, but he, I guess how many singles has he wrestled? Like ten. Maybe. Not very many. Uh, I can check real quick, but I mean, I, I do think that you know one downside of the whole like Tony going, I have to protect everyone is we get uh, Brody. Um, you know, guys like Brody don't get featured that much. Um, yeah, Brody and like you know, the, I've come away from his performance in this tournament thinking that he, you know, there's no real reason to not treat him like a main eventer at this point. I thought he's been fantastic in this tournament and uh has looked you know looked like a killer um and uh but yeah as far as singles matches in aw do 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 uh match constellation let's get this on the old uh the old cage match he has had 11 in totality one of which was a dark match against this is a hell of a name little blay in canada i've never heard of little blay um can't say I have either. Uh, I guess he's a local Canadian guy. Uh, allow me to read you the other names that Little Blay has used. Uh, first of all, there's been Cody Blade, which is where the Blay comes from. And then Cody Swayze, Cody Youngblood, Cody 1-8. So I'm not sure if that's a Mario level or what. Best uh, Avenger, number six. El Handsomer, number three. Gina Gomez. Caitlin Gomez and PS Freedom. Gonna be Interesting. El Handsomer number four for Halloween next year. Anyways, yeah, so um Brody's only other single losses have you know was the Darby Coffin match. Uh there was a Daniel Garcia win by referee's decision back on the St. Patrick's Day slam rampage before Daniel Garcia got memory hold for a while. Uh 
yeah the the dq lost andrade and he lost a world title match to john moxley by referee's decision so this would definitely be uh his first pinfall loss just wild yeah good match i i enjoyed it i i gave it like three and three quarters that's what Look, i gave it one of my favorite moves in wrestling is Brody King doing the cannonball because oh, he's awesome. just so massive. Yeah. And it, it it's like this giant, like beefy Pillsbury Doughboy flying through the air and landing on a guy's face. Like that just rules. We've got ourselves a good cannonball era right now between him. Kevin Owens still does a good one. Willow Nightingale. Yeah. It's a cannonball time. Um, Tyler, I hope you're ready to bury a segment because uh, next up we had... And I think this may have been John Carroll who said this. Uh, they said that this segment was bad in the old way segments were bad in AEW. Where uh, it just felt very disjointed and kind of off the rails as compared with just being stupid like the Adam Cole stuff was. And I thought that was a perfect way to break this down. The Golden Jets are in the ring, Tyler. And then Ricky Starks and Big Bill come out and God bless... The, every wheel fell off this one. <laughs> I thought this was one of the worst segments in a little bit, a couple weeks at least. Um, hey, still... uh, uh, breaking news. We are the Winnipeg Jets. Um, oh, <laughs> hold on. The Golden Jets. Kenny Omega not knowing what team he's in. <laughs> I don't know um, if this came out earlier or if this was released. I had no idea that Big Bill and Ricky Starks beat the shit out of Chris Jericho at full gear. Maybe we could get that video again. I love that uh, Ricky Starks, or I'm sorry, that Big Bill, wrong one. Uh, Big Bill did that beat down while wearing his glasses. Like, it just has his readers on or whatever they are. Um, it just makes it, that's my favorite part of it. It's that he's just trying to break this guy's arm while just wearing glasses. And it's just so funny to me for, you know, it's not something you usually see in wrestling. But, um, yeah, this segment was rough. Uh, we you had some uh, Chris Jericho tries to do 2002 WWE humor like you know like you would do from his promos shortly after being Y2J and it kind of flopped here. Uh, there there were a couple of decent Enzo Mori references. Uh, Kenny Omega just looks absolutely checked out. He just yeah. does not seem like he wants to be out there. You might as well have had a wristwatch on and kept watching it. Uh, Ricky Starks is. Doing his damnedest to to keep this on the rails, but then Chris Jericho starts offering offering names for uh, their team, the the Starks and Big Bill team, because they don't have a name. And these die a death, the absolute assholes, the Rick and the Dick. And then, hey, you could take one guy's last name and the other guy's first name, and you could have Big Billy Starks and crickets. A quieter response than when CM Punk tried to reference hockey in his WWE re-debut <laughs> promo. Which is hilarious because he did it in a hockey town. Yes. Even Ricky Starks on the mic immediately responds to that by going, that one fell flat. Look, Ricky's great, man. And, and Ricky just goes into like full-blown rookie mode at the end of this to try to save it. And uh, and he just starts doing his thing, and it's like thirty seconds, and he just goes into his little like rant style promo, and easily the best part of the segment. But man, this was a mess. 
they can't all be zingers and this one sure wasn't it was very bad very yeah. bad um speaking of bad we had tony storm come out and join commentary um and add nothing of value um they have this idea for the gimmick that she's doing but like they have no punchlines it's a comedy gimmick without jokes it is you know we're like basically a step away from her just doing the adam cole wacky faces you know like that kind of like well it's supposed to be funny we don't have actual ideas for how it could be funny but but it's supposed to be funny uh, but, you know, um, but this was during a Riho and Ruby Soho match, which I will say Ruby looked better than she has at other times in the recent past. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's some damning with faint praise there. Riho, uh, it's, I think Tony Khan just randomly remembered that both, both Riho and Emi Sakura are under contract. because That's really what it kind of feels like. Um, it's like, oh, I guess we could be using them. Um yeah, I mean, Rio's good. I am very down on this Tony Storm's uh, gimmick. Yes. And uh, I just, you know, it ain't working. I just don't think it's working. No, it's not. Uh, next up, we had a couple more C2 matches that were on the shorter side. Uh, I thought Rouge and Jay Lethal was pretty good, but it was too short to really get really into uh, teeth into it. Yeah, I uh, went three stars on that one. Uh, I did like the finish of Rouge going for a sleeper and using a different move to get the win, especially immediately after he passed out in a choke by John Moxley. I thought that was a nice little bit of uh, continuity there. Uh, and I do think we're, we could get a story. or we, Well, we are going to get a storyline. We'll see if it's a good one. Uh, Jay Lethal just being extremely frustrated with himself by not winning any matches. Um, it's good. Yeah. Uh, like I said, this this tournament should be a good way to launch up storylines, and I think we're, that's one of the ones we're going to see. And then we got Jay White and Mark Briscoe, and this was a pretty damn good match. Um, I went four stars on it. It was a little uh, too slow at some points, like they were doing stuff, and then they would just kind of stop for 20 seconds or something, and it was kind of odd. It kind um, of felt like a Jay White match. Yeah, it was a Jay White match, yeah. I would definitely agree with that. Uh, but it was good. I mean, both these guys are good. And, uh, you know, uh, Jay White got his knees up on a froggy bow and turned into a Blade Runner to uh, get the pin. I did like the uh, the series of counters down the stretch, which is definitely a Jay White match trope. Uh, but he always does them so well. I'm not going to complain about it. And this was another example of that. Yeah. I'm really intrigued to see that Mark Briscoe-Jay Lethal match, which is going to determine who actually gets points in this tournament. Yeah, because neither one of those guys has a win. It also creates a really interesting dynamic because Roosh has six points, and mm-hmm. if he wins with some help, I believe he still has a shot to make the semis. Yeah, and they could always do like a three-way match for uh, you know the the semis if there's a tie. I wouldn't uh, be shocked if they ended up doing that. Uh, and then our main event was John Moxley and Swerve Strickland and. Uh, these are two dudes right here, man. They are... John Moxley is just so confident. This, they're both so confident at this point in time, but John Moxley especially, like, he is clearly... And this is what's made him so special in AEW. He clearly feels himself as a main eventer. Like, and there's no, like, you know, 
getting forced into a position that he's not fit for. He is a hundred percent a dude. <laughs> and um mm-hmm. uh Swear Strickland is, you know, he this has been his year of ascent. I would be shocked if it twenty twenty four ends without him getting a world championship run. Uh these guys had a hell of a match. Uh went four and a quarter on it. Um, just some crazy stuff on there. I like the finish where uh, Mox countered uh, the JML driver to get the pin. And also, Swerve's shoulder may have been up. So they play that up on commentary. I think that's a nice touch here. Um, I think that it's going to have to, you know, maybe not immediately because we do know that AEW likes to do something and then three months later return to it with nothing really in between. And you're like, oh, okay, that did happen. You didn't really build off mm-hmm. it, but but it did happen. And um, I like this match quite a bit. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, good match. I gave it four and a half. It, you could just feel the sense at the end that they were building to something else. And I think that's great considering like this is like prelims, uh, for lack of a better term. They're setting up for the semis and the finals. And I really liked it. I I would love to see these guys in some sort of deathmatch element. Like John Moxley versus Killshot. Let's go. Like yeah. man, th- there's more that they can do. And I'm excited to kind of see how that manifests. But look, this has been a very pro-swerve show for the entirety of his run in AEW. So I'm really excited to kind of see what happens here. Um, Yeah. And uh, I think he's really stepped up his game this year. Uh, He looks like a star. He carries himself like a star. He works like a star. And he talks like a star. If we can do away with this kind of comic, comic book villain, like cackling nonsense, you know, do any other house invasion gimmicks, which I don't think did anything to really help anything other than, well, okay, he didn't do anything to help Swerve. He got Adam Page to come back and be fiery, which Adam Page sorely needed. And uh, I think you don't want to really... swerve when you drive. No, no, no laughs, no laughs. Oh, oh I'm, just, I'm just doing the, I'm just popping you with the dance. So, you know, we know that uh, podcasting is a visual medium. It really is. It, it's and a, uh, that's a visual good. medium. Just going to do it for the rest of the show as uh, backstage. <laughs> the Devil's Rejects attacked Hangman Page in the parking lot. This is and, an uh, insult to Rob Zombie. Don't do this. Um, I'm, I'm rejecting them. So they're the, they're the Devil's Rejects. Um, Page did get some fight back for a while, but then he uh, the the odds, the number games, the number game just overcame him. Um, and while the Devil got out of the car to watch. Hangman Page was power mobbed onto the windshield of the car. And uh, notoriously, Tyler, uh, windshields are made with real glass. Look, uh, uh, we've speculated that the devil's Jack Perry before. We'll speculate that the devil's Jack Perry again. This just adds more fuel to the fire. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it would be a smart... Um, now, I still think the storyline sucks. They're not going to get me into this. Uh, there's just been too much shit... <laughs> You can't go for eight months, then give me like a good segment and a good like little uh, you know fish hook there for me to be like, oh, this is good now. No, it doesn't. That's not how these. That's not how a good story works. Yeah. Um, but I will say that uh, that is a a good uh, fake out or a good tease. Either way, um, we'll see which way it goes. I'm just not going to like 
be hyped about it. So, yeah, I'm yeah. with you. I'm not going to be hyped either. We'll kind of find out how how everything will manifest, and I I'm just excited for the end of this tournament, man. Really, am. yeah, I think they've done a great job uh, building it up, and uh, I, I think it's really developing nicely, and uh, I like it. I, I think they've done. I, there was a lot of uh, a lot of pessimism, pessimism I should say, uh, about it at first, but I think uh, I think they've done a great job uh, building this up and turning it into a source of storylines. It's up on it's up to them to deliver on those storylines because I mean we talked about Daniel Garcia earlier, we talked about Ricky Starks earlier. They have set up storylines with both of those guys and failed to deliver on them. Um, and uh, look, I really do think 2024, if you want, I think that if you want both of these guys to stick around, you need to do some shit with them. You need to do some serious like stuff with them and not just like the tag titles. Tag titles aren't bad, but that's not, you know, that's not what you're looking for. And uh, for Ricky Starks and same with Kevin Garcia, you know, you got to do something meaningful with them. So, And it's so, really hard because you have so many. You do. And- it, this is part of the issue that WWE saw in the the mid 2010s when they went to the indies and they signed all this great talent. At a certain point, you just don't have enough for all of these guys to be able to do something meaningful, even though it kicks ass that they're on your roster. So, how is AEW now going to adapt and adjust? Because they're kind of in the same realm right now. They have signed yeah. a lot of really good talent and. Most of the talent, you can't even argue that they shouldn't have signed. Mm-hmm. Like even Adam Copeland has been—he's popped think... people in the buildings. He's done decent enough with ratings. Like the his match with Christian Cage um, last week on uh, Dynamite was a, an incredible mover of ratings. Like, and I know we meme the one week where he literally did nothing for three shows, but he's. He's, his work has been really good in AEW, and I think people are responding to it. How much of that credit can be given to Christian Cage? We'll find out over time because Christian Cage has been phenomenal in this company ever since he came in. Yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how they a- adapt because you're probably going to get the phasing out of Brian Danielson, unfortunately. We just have to kind of deal with it as it is. Samoa Joe, if he doesn't win the title... Is he going to stick around as a main character on these shows? That you have Hangman Page who's done literally fucking nothing, nothing for months at a time. Yeah, sometimes you just have um, it's not you just have too many cooks in the kitchen, and you have to kind of pick and choose who you want on your line. And AEW has a lot of talent, but. And a lot, five hours of TV time feels like a lot, and it's also nothing because you have to have stuff for them to do with that mm-hmm. five hours of TV time. I'd like to see Rampage utilize a little bit more within storyline. I think they're trying to, but right now it's just nerd matches. And yes, those are fun. I'm not going to complain about you know getting nerd matches, but yeah, I mean it's a very it's very much a C show. Um, yeah, and, and you know the whole refusal to have stars lose, you know when you really avoid it so much on TV, it, it's going to lead to this issue. And we've seen a lot of it in 2023, where uh, you you just instead of having them occasionally lose matches, you just completely bitch guys. 
Yeah. I mean, Lance Archer is on milk cartons at this point, you know, and he's still good. He's still a very talented guy. Um, we talked about Starks. We talked about uh, Daniel Garcia. Um, you know, there's other other guys on the roster that are very talented, and uh, it's just uh, the men's side is stuffed with talent, and the women's side is very interesting. Um, but we had Miro not used for a long time, and Drade. I mean, there's a bunch of guys I can name off of their roster that just kind of disappear. The House of Black. Wild Trios champions. Uh, speaking of uh, the acclaimed, apparently have not recovered. They're they're just dead. We had Dustin you know Rhodes. What? I like that they're keeping them off TV for a little bit. Yeah, I, I'm not complaining really. It's just that the belts are on them, so kind of you know. I think oh, good point. I do think they have too many belts, um, but you know, it's it's not really a problem. But like you know, when you go like a couple months without an appearance of them or mention of them, then it's kind of like, oh, uh, well. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, you can go up and down the the roster. Um, you know, like, and it's just going to get worse when like Kyle Fletcher returns. Um, you know, when Mark Davis returns. Uh, when uh, I, I'm going to say it, when Mark Quinn returns, because uh, Isaiah Casty has turned himself into a uh, damn fine worker, I think, um, carrying those Hardys matches. And then you got guys like the Hardys who think they need to be pushed more. And it's like, this is such no, a... don't. I think they kind of burnt through their uh, their value pretty quickly there. I'll say that. Hey, you know what? I, I'm glad Jeff seems to be on the right track. But, yeah, man... At least we didn't get a Hardy Boys tag team title run. Literally dodged a bullet there. Um, so uh, that's wrestling for AEW this week. Um, takes me to, uh, well, Tyler, I got a little tab here pulled up. Entitled the 2023-24 College Football Bowl Game Schedule. Do you want to talk? You want to give the, the listeners a little, a little football? All right, let's do it. I, I want to say that um, I, as a, I have the Texas State High School finals on, there is an analyst um, on here. Her name is Ashley Pickle, and that is just a phenomenal name. Like nice. you, you can't make that up. Ashley Pickle, that rocks. <laughs> she's she's smart too. She kicks ass. Cool, like, cool. Just the name rules. I, I can't yeah. get over it. Yeah. Uh, so there are. Uh, let's see. There are eight, nine. Nine uh, bowl games from now through Tuesday. I'm going to leave off the Thursday and Friday ones because who knows when we'll record next week. Uh, but I'm going to have you just give a little bit on each, each of them. You don't need to go uh, fully in-depth or nothings, but uh, let's just talk about it a little bit because it's the most wonderful college football time of the year. And, uh, you know, I mean, we got ourselves a full Saturday schedule uh, alone by uh, seven games. Uh, and they start at 11 a.m. with the Myrtle Beach Bowl. Uh, with Georgia Southern and Ohio University. I think, uh, I think Georgia Southern is going to win that game pretty easily. Um, the The tough part for Ohio is like their three best offensive players all entered the transfer portal. Curtis Rourke, the quarterback, is now going to Indiana, and that's going to be a really intriguing team next year. Uh, and Georgia Southern, they have a pretty prolific pass offense. It's been a little inconsistent, especially against some of the better defenses in the Sun Belt. Uh, Davis bring the quarterback. He threw five interceptions against Wisconsin earlier this year, and he's got 16 on the season. 
But Caleb Hood and Derwin Burgess Jr. are really um, talented weapons on the outside. If they can just get the ball in their hands consistently, I think Georgia Southern is going to be able to win this game. I think the line is three points right now, and I have Georgia Southern. Uh, I will say that Ohio U does have, I believe, a, a damn strong uh, defense. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to find uh, the SP Plus rankings, the latest version, but um, I, you know, I think that that could. This is definitely a, a strong defense versus a strong offense matchup, and the other side of the field kind of sucks on both ends. Uh, yeah. I'm not expecting Ohio to really score any points here. Any players that got, that people should watch out for if they're interested in the NFL. Not really. Um, you might get some guys who are UDFAs that will be preseason fun. I think Caleb Hood's one of those guys, wide receiver, George Southern. Davis Brin could potentially be like a an XFL-type quarterback, but uh, from an NFL perspective, no, nah, not really. All right, well, hit the bricks, uh, guys. <laughs> Tyler ain't got time for your shit. Um, our next game is uh, – is the Cricket Celebration Bowl where Howard versus Florida A&M playoff. Uh, both teams are from, of course, uh, the FCS. Uh, Howard is HBCUs, the, too. Mm-hmm. Howard is the MEAC rep, and uh, Jacksonville State is the uh, the uh, SWAC. Florida A&M, not Jacksonville State. Oh, sorry. I, I just spoke there. I was looking down at yeah. the next bowl. Sorry. Uh, but instead of the playoffs, these two uh, conferences participate in this bowl game every year. It's really interesting because the SWAC has uh, has kind of eaten some of the MEAC recently. Um, uh, any thoughts on this game? I'll be honest. I don't know much about either of these teams. I know Willie Simmons has done a phenomenal job at Florida A&M. And the, uh, the atmosphere surrounding uh, HBCU football is just different. It's it's kind of on the level of like Texas high school football. Like there's a lot of passion and not only a lot of passion, the marching bands are like the main event. Yeah. Uh, Florida A&M has one of the best marching bands in the country. So halftime is going to be a must watch. Like I'm probably not going to be having too much on this game personally, just because I'm not super invested in either team. And I really want to watch that Georgia Southern Ohio game. Plus, yeah. there's going to be other things going on that will just keep me away from it. But it'll it should be a good football game, and the atmosphere will be incredible. Yeah, uh, A and M is eleven and one this year. Howard is six and five. Kind of stole the Miac over the nine and three North Carolina Central. Uh, Florida A and M is favored by seven. And without pulling up the you know Bill Connolly's huge SP plus every level <laughs> sheet, uh, it does feel to me on the surface that that uh, is. Uh, that line is not particularly kind to A and M. I mean, I, meaning that I think they could easily cover that. I guess I should say, mm-hmm. um, not betting advice though, just an observation because I really don't know. Uh, the New Orleans Bowl is sponsored by RNL Carriers. Uh, Jacksonville State, who I tried to bring into the last game, is playing Louisiana. Uh, ooh la la. Uh, any thoughts on this one here, Tyler? Jacksonville State, man. Great, great that, way. Uh, Rich Rodriguez. That Rich Rodriguez offense is fun. I like Malik Jackson a lot. Uh, Zion Webb is a, is a um, talented quarterback. This could be a really fun football game. Um, I don't think Louisiana is any good. I really don't. So I have, I am betting heavy on Jacksonville State. And I don't know. But like, these are grimy bowl games, and I love it. I, I yeah. absolutely love it. 
Louisiana is uh, six is ranked or they're six and six and they're ranked sixty fourth in SB plus Jacksonville State, uh, which should not be eligible with this year, but there weren't enough bowl eligible teams, so they got in. Uh, be- despite being in just their first year of FBS, they are eight and four and ranked sixty seventh. So they are at least on paper evenly matched. I I, I think the Jacksonville State is going to win this game by a touchdown. It is a two and a half spread with, uh, I believe, Jacksonville State favored. So, but this is uh, basically a home game for Louisiana, so that will keep it interesting. Um, the avocados from Mexico. I love the stupid, weird sponsors for these bowl, early bowl games. Uh, Miami of Ohio against Appalachian State at three thirty p.m. This is a really interesting one because Miami of Ohio, their starting quarterback uh, Brett Gabbert. Um, his brother Blaine Gabbert was the top 10 pick of the Jaguars back in 2011. He hurt his legs out for the year. Avion Smith, their backup quarterback, just entered the transfer portal. So a, a Miami team that just won the Mac is going to go in undermanned. But Appalachian State feels like they had half their roster into the transfer portal, including star running back Nate Noel, who I think could really be a massive benefit to a P5 team next season. Um, I got Appalachian State because I think they're just going to have too much, especially on the defensive side of the football, to be able to kind of hold a Miami of Ohio team that's just going to be on their third-string quarterback. And It's bad enough being in your backup quarterback in the MAC. Uh, The third-stringer, don't feel too confident about that. And Miami wasn't exactly uh, slinging the ball around in the first place. They rank 107th overall in terms of uh, offense and SP+. Interestingly, they are the best special teams team in the country this season, though, according to that metric. Uh, overall, Miami is 52nd, and App State is 55th on the year. Uh, I, you know, once again, a nice close one, but I do think that with the quarterback issues, it's probably an App State game. Again, anyone to watch in this game in particular? Nobody's jumping out at me. Um, that, that you're going to see some really talented football players, but as far as like must watch from an NFL perspective, no. Okay. Uh, next up, the Isleta. Uh, New Mexico Bowl with New Mexico State, the football powerhouse it is, the 10-4 and four Aggies against the 8-4 Fresno State Bulldogs. Uh, this would be New Mexico State's fifth ever uh, bowl victory. Um, the headline says Fresno State playing for a missing head coach, which makes it sound like there's some mystery there. Um, Jeff Tedford but he's uh, having health issues. Program with health issues. Um, I think it's heart stuff. I, yeah. I don't not 100% sure on that, but it's – look, it. and when you have a missing head coach, it, they're either going to all rally around him or they're going to collapse, and there's really no other way about it. I don't think that's going to matter with New Mexico State. New Mexico State went into Jordan-Hare Stadium and beat the piss out of Auburn the week before the Iron Bowl. Like, this is a good New Mexico State team, and if Diego Pavia, their quarterback, doesn't get hurt in the third quarter of that uh, CUSA title game, they probably beat Liberty or at least make it much closer – their third-string quarterback made it a game, and he was slinging the ball over the field, but they lost by 14. It was at Liberty, so that matters a little bit. But New Mexico State has only won 10 games twice. 1960, they won 11, and this year they're 10-4. and four. So New Mexico State, uh, all factors considered, you have a healthy Diego Pavia. Yes, they lose their second-best uh, wide receiver to the transfer portal, but Jerry Kill's going to have these guys ready to go. It's basically a home game. Uh, Fresno State's been so up and down this year. They got they lost to I think Nevada 
or New Mexico with one of the two. And both those teams stink. So I'm going to take New Mexico State, and I'm not going to think twice about it. Yeah, that this is the second time in history New Mexico State is in consecutive bowls. Uh, last time they did it was 59 and 60. Um, per SP Plus, this is a very tight matchup. New Mexico State ranked 62nd and Fresno State 63rd. Uh, Jerry Kill, who's not exactly a uh, beloved person, I think, in general, uh, is at least doing well as the New Mexico State coach. Uh, the LA Bowl brought to you by Gronk. <laughs> Hell yeah. This used uh, to be the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl, by the way. Gronk is much cooler. Um, they should, they, I just think that random celebrities should sponsor bowl games more often. Um, let's have like a LeVar Burton, Burton Bowl next year. Why not? Uh, Eating Rainbow a, Bowl. Yeah. An extremely weird matchup here, I think, uh, with UCLA, who actually had despite going seven to five on paper, a fantastic defense and like a fine offense against Boise state and their interim coach and their conference championship. No longer interim coach. They gave him the job. Oh, they gave him the job. Well, if you win the conference championship as a interim coach, I think that's probably a good decision. Uh, just really weird uh, season for Boise state. I mean, they fired their coach and then they, four weeks later, they, they rallied and won the, the championship. I think that's a hell of a story right there. Uh, these teams are also very similar in SP plus uh, UCLA at 38 Boise state at 41. Any other thoughts here? I'm really excited to watch this game. Uh, UCLA, they kept having a quarterback carousel. They couldn't really make a decision. Uh, True freshman Dante Moore, uh, top three recruit in the country at the quarterback position. True dual threat. I thought he really fit well in that Chip Kelly offense. But then you had Ethan Garbers, who more of a traditional drop back passer. And Chip Kelly makes it work for those guys. He he did so in the NFL. He has done so at UCLA. I really like his arm talent. And then you have Colin Schley, who's just a just a broad spectrum of fun. And one of e. Garbers or Schley is going to play a lot in this game, maybe both of them. And then Carson Steele, the running back, uh, he looks like uh, like a, a 25-year-old factory worker out of the, the um, guts of Ohio. Like, just the dude, like, you got to read the freaks list right up on on uh, Carson Steele. He's, he can just lift some fucking weight man and the dude is the stud um i'm i'm kind of excited to see this i i I picked ucla um that defense is really really good and you don't have a lot of opt-outs from it laiatu latu did not opt out for this game as of yet and i mean there's still time but i don't think he's going to and the um gabriel grace and murphy are awesome as well that pass rush is going to be able to get home um, and no Taylor Green for Boise State. And to me, that was the big a big factor as well. He just committed to Arkansas. And not having him is going to be a massive impact for that Boise State offense. And I just don't think they're going to have enough. All right. Uh, and finally, the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl in Shreveport between California and Texas Tech. Jaden Ott, the running back from Cal, just released the coolest fucking video of all time a couple hours ago. Um, he, he basically sits down, and most players will do a graphic. Well, he did a video thanking everybody at Cal, and then he says, I'm entering this transfer portal. He goes out of the screen. He's like, nah, I'm just playing. I'm coming back. And then they just do a highlight package, and it's just cool, cool shit. Um, Cal and Texas Tech is an interesting one. Um, Jake Spavital, 
the offense coordinator for Cal, really helped that offense lead like a renaissance. He was the Texas State head coach, returned to Cal this year to BOC. Now he's at Baylor. So uh, that plays a little bit in here. Um, Cal has kind of had a little bit of a quarterback carousel, mainly due to injuries. And I think Texas Tech is going to be able to win this game. Taj Brooks is playing in the bowl game. He's coming back next year. Uh, was an absolutely lethal back in the Big 12. And Baron Morton is kind of getting his bearings underneath him as the quarterback in that Zach Hitley air raid. And I think they're just going to be too much for Cal in this game. I don't think they're, they're going to have enough to be able to stop them. And that's that's going to be big for me. There you go. Uh, you got anything on the FCS semifinals? Uh, Friday night is Albany at South Dakota State. What a trip. And then Saturday is North Dakota State at Montana. Albany, South Dakota State could be fun. I think South Dakota State's going to end up winning. If it's a bad weather game, watch uh, for Albany to make some noise, kind of like yeah, Villanova that, did last week. That um, is 7 p.m. tonight. Yeah. Uh, 6 Central if you're me. Uh, Montana, NDSU is going to be great. NDSU going to Montana is a one-point favorite. That's an unseeded team. Yeah, well, it's NDSU. They right. they had some health issues during the season. They lost to South Dakota, who they just avenged their loss by just absolutely destroying them in the quarterfinals. They lost to South Dakota State. And I can't remember who their third loss was. Oh, they lost to North Dakota. All three playoff teams. Um North Dakota was also unseated. They lost in the first round to Sacramento State. But they did get a home game out of it. So they were at least like a top 16 seed out of the 2014 field. Look, NDSU's championship pedigree, nine national titles since uh, 2011. And 2010, they got screwed out of it uh, a final appearance because of a bad call by the refs. Um, I was, I lived in Fargo at the time. It was, it was bad, real bad. Fortunately, uh, fortunately, college refs will never make another bad call. I know. Um, look, Montana's fun, man. That defense is great. That offense is multiple, and they can do a lot of things, especially with their quarterback. I can't remember his name, but the number 17 is a true dual threat. And look, if Bozeman has some incredible aesthetics, because you got the mountains in the backdrop, high, 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 high recommend checking that game out on Saturday afternoon. That is going to be one that I'm going to be glued to. All right. And then we get ourselves a Monday afternoon, 2.30 p.m. Eastern Bowl game. Hell yeah. At the uh, Jerry Richardson Stadium uh, on the Charlotte campus. Uh, the famous Toastery Bowl between Western Kentucky and Old Dominion. I love an after a weekday afternoon bowl. I love weekday afternoon bowls, man. I'm a big Western Kentucky guy. I like the Hilltoppers. Um I actually need to go onto their NIL shop and buy a t-shirt uh, just because I do really enjoy that, that team. Um, big red is one of the coolest mascots. They actually had a big red helmet this year. Yeah. Uh, really, which, with, it, special, it with special decals for each position group too. Yeah. <laughs> it was I great. It. I wish they would sell the mini helmets. Um, look, Austin Reed has been inconsistent this year. He was way more consistent in 2022. And I really thought that he could make some noise a potential draft prospect with a good 2023 uh, Malachi Corley being uh, hurt for a little bit of the year. Dalvin Smith got hurt their second wide receiver and their third wide receiver, Michael Matheson, who was my fifth round pick in the 50 team uh, college fantasy football extravaganza. Didn't play a single snap, uh, had a hip injury. There's like, Oh, he's week to week. And they figured he'd be back in October. Oh, I just didn't play. So uh, Reed, he's a true gunslinger. 
And in that air raid, it's some tight windows and he did throw some interceptions, but he can light it up as well. I'm intrigued to see them against this old dominion team. Old dominion has got a good offense. Um, this should be fun. I've got Western Kentucky. Uh, look, if you're not doing anything on a Monday afternoon, great use of your time. Yeah. Always a uh, fantastic background stuff. Uh, and then our last one, um, the Scooter's Coffee Frisco Bowl. I love. I just love these dumb sponsors. Uh, half of them sound like they're probably just military contractors, and the other half are just like the most random food brands. And then you got Gronk. Um, we have uh, in Frisco, Texas, you have UTSA against the uh, morally superior and just Marshall Thundering Herd. Listen, I wouldn't say that, but I do like... Oh, I will the... always say that because that's my team, man. Yeah, I do like uh, their head coach, Charles Huff, just basically being real about NIL. And yeah. yeah, do you want to necessarily say that? No, nothing he said was incorrect. And I yeah. think that's something that's going to be lost a little bit in translation with some of these things. Look, um, UTSA, Frank Harris's last game uh, with the Thundering Herd, he's probably going to absolutely torch, uh, absolutely torch um, Marshall and yeah. going UTSA to win big. Yeah, I would expect that to be the outcome, too, as much as I don't want to say that. But it does look like statistically that's what's going to happen. And those are the bowl games right now. Uh, we'll talk about some more next week if we have time. I think we want to do a uh, – do you want to do next week as the uh, year in review on uh, AW, and then the following week we can focus on uh, the pay-per-view? I like that. Sounds good to me. Uh, I will leave us with one more wrestling comment. Uh somebody post uh aw uploaded for it looks like the entire golden jets jets ricky starks big bill segment for some reason to their youtube and someone posted on there it takes a lot of courage to upload this segment kudos to the social media manager uh you know what we've made fun a lot about the social media team that rules that <laughs> absolutely rules oh that's our show this week uh Follow Tyler's football stuff. He's one of the best at it. He's just so smart and knowledgeable about every football team that's ever existed. And I hope you all have a great week. Do the outro stuff, Tyler. Like, comment, subscribe, do all the fun things. Help us grow. I'm sorry we didn't have Dave Meltzer again on this show this week, but we hope to get him back soon and have another uh, episode like we did last week, which was very well received by everybody we talked to and it was really cool to hear Dave in a different element. And we're going to try and give you that again and help us out. Like, comment, subscribe. That's the easiest way to do so. And if you want, um, you can always uh, give us money uh, with the donation link in the show notes. Thank you. God bless. Take care. See y'all. Hello, everyone. My name is Taylor. And I'm Kelly. And we are the co-hosts of Jumping Bomb Audio, the number one show all about the world of Joshi Pro Wrestling. Episodes drop every other Monday where we discuss the biggest Joshi news, review shows, and preview the hottest upcoming Joshi action. So whether you're a new fan or an old fan, we've got something here for you at Jumping Bomb Audio. Check us out on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. <laughs>